0: Hi, we are Inspired Churches, and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspiredchurches.com. Good morning, Inspired Church. How y'all doing? Good morning, good morning, yeah good to be in the house. Uh, Do we have anybody at our church that won a Super Bowl recently? Because apparently someone has lost their ring. Anyways, it's kind of a joke, but this ring is huge. So if you've lost a ring and you're looking for it to complete your ensemble, come see me. I see you. Come see me afterwards, okay? I got your precious, okay? In fact, I'm gonna just hand this to my wife right now. Babe, don't put it in your purse. There you go. Good morning, good morning. Good morning. Um, I am just so happy uh, the last several weeks um, as a, just, I've been so blessed pastorally. Um, our Sundays have been an incredible time together of worship, incredible time in the word. I'm so thankful for Pastor Roger. How many of you guys are thankful for Pastor Roger and Becca? Come on. Yeah, I'm, you know, the <laughs> There's so many things I could be grateful for, but, you know, it's like Saturday, and I'm like, hey, Pastor, I I might need you to preach tomorrow because I am, I couldn't get up. My wife and I were bedridden for three days, and he came through, and I heard he preached an amazing word. Then I got a chance to listen to it on the podcast, and so, Pastor Roger, wherever you're at, I know Pastor Roger's out, you know, doing operations. There he is, Pastor Roger. Thank you. For jumping in and preaching like a 24-hour notice, um, uh, we, we, there's a few of us. I heard there's a lot of people kind of going around getting this bug. So um, protect yourself, get some rest, all of that good stuff. Um, but God is good. Amen. Our home groups have been amazing. We are, yes, yes, we are in our final stretch, our last two weeks. And I think we've been averaging uh, well over 70 plus um, a week in different homes throughout the Bay Area. If you've been meaning to go to one, um, this, you still can go, so uh, no judgment. Judgment-free zone, if you didn't make the first two, three, you still can come, so uh, we love for you to check that out. Um, at the Resource Center, we have information for you as well. Um, I am really excited about the last three weeks of these home groups as well. Um, well, this morning, uh, we are continuing a series that we've entitled The Table, And I'll talk a little bit more about that momentarily, but really what the table is, is we're going through the book of Luke and we are taking a look at, we are observing all the table scenes. And what do I mean by the table scenes? All the places where Jesus is meeting with people around the table, having a meal. And we have used that to not only inspire us to call us back to Jesus's table, But also to open our own tables. What does it look like to be a people of hospitality? What does it look like to also be a people that takes time to eat from the table of Christ? Amen. And so uh, today's table scene is going to be a long story. And uh, we'll have it for you up here on the screens. But let me just kind of set it up. You see, the God of Scripture is the God of justice and generosity. How many know that? Like, our God is a God of justice and a God of generosity. Amen? And because he is a God of justice and generosity, he commands those. He he, he doesn't just ask. He commands those who follow him to practice justice and generosity. Amen? Amen? He commands us to practice justice generosity in our fields, in our homes, and around our tables. Let me just read you a couple of scriptures uh, so you can understand who our God is. In Leviticus 19, 9 through 10, the scripture says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your fields. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. In other words, those who own fields and lands, God was saying, leave some left over for those who cannot afford to buy. Are you with me? In Proverbs 22 verse 9, the scripture says, The generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. In other words, those who share their generosity with those who are less fortunate will be blessed. Can I get an amen? Isaiah 58 verses 6 and 7 says this. Is this not the kind of fasting that I have chosen? This is God speaking. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide for the poor wanderer, which we would call homeless, with shelter? And finally, in James chapter 1 verse 27, the scripture reads like this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Our God is a God of generosity. Our God is a God of justice. And because he is a God of generosity and justice, his people should be too. Amen? Amen. And so this entire series, we have been asking, how can I spend more time at the table of Jesus? And how can I open my tables and invite people in to discover Jesus themselves? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. And your goodness means that you are just. You are right. You are righteous. And you are generous. You are benevolent. You are a blesser. And so I pray, Lord God, this morning, two things would happen in this room, that we would know the God of justice and generosity, and that as a result of knowing him intimately, we would become people of justice and generosity. Lord, have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, I know you are here. Would you illuminate the text so that every heart and every mind in this room would be able to leave service this morning and say, I heard from God, I received a word from the Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I know it's a little dark in here, but if you have your Bibles and you can see, (laughs) or if you have your Bible apps, I'd like to invite you to Luke chapter 14, and we're going to read verses 1 through 24. So if you can read along, we'll also have it for you on the screen, but if you can read along, it will be really helpful because it's a very long story. And I already anticipate that throughout this story, you're probably going to go in and out with your attentions, man. That's okay. I'm going to do my best uh, to try and catch you up, Amen. So Luke chapter 14, and we are going to read 24 verses. Again, this is another table scene in the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 14, and we will read verses 1 through 24. Amen? Amen. The scripture reads like this. On the Sabbath... When he, that's Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. So the haters are out. Amen? I've been a hater all week. Some of you already know what that is. the NBA playoffs, I've been one of the biggest haters. Um, And I want to apologize to a group of people who are on a text thread in this room. Um, Amen. Let's start over. On the Sabbath... When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, the haters were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Verse 3. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. Verse 5, and he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull them out? And they could not reply to these things. Verse 7, don't you just love Jesus? Now, now he told a parable to those who were invited. Again, remember, this is all at the same table. When he noticed So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. And here's the learning point. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him. So he's talking to the guest. Now he's talking to the host. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be what? Repaid. But here's the learning point. When you give a feast, invite the poor. Invite the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because, you can, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Man, Jesus, he's locked and loaded at this table. He's got something for everybody. Verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Talk about a deflection. But he said to him, now Jesus looks at him. He says to him, a man once gave a banquet. (laughs) That's what I want to, maybe that's what I want to start doing. I just want to tell parables. Whenever somebody gets on my nerves, just look at them and be like, once upon a time. Let me tell you a story. (laughs) I feel like whenever you read the scripture, and I got to stay on task here. Whenever you read the scripture, if Jesus interrupts you with a parable, you're in trouble. That's just how it goes. And so let's get back to this. Verse 16. But he said to him, a man once gave a banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go and see it. I mean, think about that. I bought a field. I got to go see it. Like you should have seen it before you bought it anyway. So these excuses are lame. Verse 20. Uh, And he said, another said, uh, I have married, I'm sorry, verse 19, another said to him, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I have to go examine them. Again, you should have examined them before you bought. Okay, that's just me. Verse 20, and another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. I could kind of understand that one. (laughs) Verse 21, moving quickly. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master out of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and we still have room. There's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. And then Jesus ties it all together by saying, for I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Yeah, he's got, he's locked and loaded for everybody. So I want to tell you this just to set you up. This table scene features four vignettes, four small pictures, four episodes. And each of these vignettes contain their own individual lessons about Christ and about his kingdom. But kind of putting all four together, uh, all four together kind of help formulate a vision for practicing justice and generosity at the table. In fact, I've entitled today's kind of table message, Practicing Justice and Generosity at the Table. So I just want to go through each vignette and just kind of extract some truths and principles. And at the end, bring it all together and give Jesus glory. Amen? So vignette number one. We'll find that in verses one through six. I want you to know that Luke, who's the author of the text, he notes in the opening lines of this story, he notes the elevated status of the man who invited Jesus over. Did you catch that? He calls the host that invited Jesus over a ruler of the Pharisees. So this is no ordinary Pharisee. He's a chief Pharisee. Are you with me? So he was not just the most prominent man at the table, but he was probably the most prominent religious leader in the entire community. Are you with me? And so given his superior status, we can assume, we can assume that this was an exclusive invite-only event. It was like going to the mayor's house, right? So this guest list featured some of the most powerful and the most religious elite at this table, This is why it was odd and out of place for a man suddenly to appear with severe swelling. That's what dropsy is. It is a severe swelling in the skin that tends to affect the limbs and the face. And so out out of nowhere and out of place appears this man with severe swelling. This could only mean one thing. This disfigured and disabled man was not invited. He was planted. He was planted there on purpose to trap Jesus and to stir up controversy because the religious elite hated that Jesus was calling out their hypocrisy. How do I know this? Well, like I just said, it was an exclusive event and yet somebody out of place was there. But number two, remember, Luke is giving us clues in the text. First of all, what does he tell us? He tells us that it was the what? It was the Sabbath day. It was the Sabbath day. What was the Sabbath? The Sabbath was a day when work was supposed to cease. It was prohibited by Mosaic law for the Israelites to work. Are you with me? Number two, the text tells us not only was it the Sabbath day, but they were watching him carefully. Right? Right? They were watching him carefully, implying that this was a coordinated effort to entice Jesus to heal this man, and then accuse Jesus of exerting too much energy, and breaking not just the Mosaic law, but breaking their religious man-made rituals and regulations. So remember, there was not only Moses' law, but the Pharisees had their own laws that they added to the Bible, And so they were trying to stir up controversy to discredit Jesus' ministry by getting him to heal a man who was diseased on the Sabbath. Because he was exerting too much energy in healing the disease. I mean, how wicked is that? How petty is that? And so this is what the point I want to make here. What we are witnessing at this table is religious corruption and injustice. This is religious corruption and injustice. This is what it looks like. Can I just tell you a little bit about what this looks like based off of this table? It pretends to be a servant of God, doesn't it? Doesn't religion pretend to be a servant of God? Like religion, you think if this is a religious place, if these are religious people, then they should be servants of what? God. But when religious corruption and injustice come in, this is what it looks like. It pretends to be a servant of God. But number one, it prioritizes power over people. Number two, it exploits the most vulnerable among us. Number three, it harms more than it heals and number four, it seeks to discredit and destroy anyone that poses a threat to its systems of control. I want to just kind of let this list stay here in front of you. You know, it's, it's, it's really sickening and sad that some of the most corrupt and unjust institutions in the world carry God's name in their title. Am I the only one that's sick and, sickened and sad? There are some of you in here today that don't even have, you haven't stepped foot in church in years because of the corruption, because of the injustice. Some of you even struggle to come here to inspire church because of institutions that have the name of God in their title and yet harm rather than heal. Exploit. Are you with me? And we've all seen it with the advent of social media. Tele-evangelism. Tele- right? Some of us, you've been hurt by this for years. We've all seen it. From the Christian church to the Catholic church. Can I get an amen? Can we be honest? From the mega church and celebrity pastors to the small church on the corner. Because a lot of times we like to bag on the mega churches, but those small churches can get real toxic. And in an effort to maintain power and control, What, what happens? We've seen NDAs signed, publicists hired to protect the brand, sin is minimized, sin is covered up, damage control. In an effort to maintain power and control, we've seen victims blamed and predators protected. Yes or no? But at this table, the compassionate Christ demonstrates the heart of the father. When he heals the hurting and he silences the corrupt and unjust. Even though these that are acting corrupt and unjust are the very people that use his name in vain. We have to know that when God comes, he he, he comes to discipline his house first. There's a lot of us like, go get the world and get those sinners, right? Like, go and discipline them and punish the wicked. And I want you to know, Jesus comes, the first place he goes is to his own house. I like to call him the silencer in this situation because every time they tried to test him and trap him, he was able to not only demonstrate in healing this man, but then in using a parable to silence them. They were unable to speak. Moving over to vignette number two. How are you guys doing? Great. We see in verses, we see a, a something else take place in verses 7 through 11. Now, I want to tell you, typically at an event like this, the most honorable guests sat closest to the host. And then if you sit the furthest away, guess what? Not, not very honorable. <laughs> so at events like this, the most honorable guests would sit closest to the host while the least prominent sat the furthest away. So at this table, where you sat mattered. Now, I think we could kind of relate to this. Maybe not 100%, but y'all been to weddings, right? You know where you sit, (laughs) right? This is a little uncomfortable in here. Right? And typically, we know. We, it's like a cult. We understand. It's like a soul. We accept it. Like, okay, the family members, the parents are going to, you know what I mean? To sit next to the bride and the groom. It's going to be the, it's going to people in, in the wedding party. And, you know, for those of us that are sitting, you know, <laughs> hey, at least we got in. You know what I mean? Like, we're all okay. Right? Uh, 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 I was having a funny conversation. And we now know about invites. Right? So, if your invite comes a little later, you know that you weren't the original one to be invited. If somebody canceled. Okay, let me keep moving. <laughs> so, so we can understand social pressures, can't we? Yeah. And we understand all, and and, and, and so we are very sensitive people. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, I just had to. Right. So, so <laughs> does he? Oh. Thank you, Becca. My wife's like, "No, Becca's like, go ahead, girl. <laughs> and so, it's in this particular setting. Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus notices something. The word notice, he notices something. What does he notice? He notices a room full of self-assuming guests jockeying for the best seats at the table, right? And he also notices how it was pretty common for some of the guests to overestimate their value and only to be publicly shamed and humiliated when the host gets up and says, excuse me, you're not supposed to be sitting there. Go to the back. Veronica, you know, I love you. Like that's humiliating. And yet they were risking it all because they were jockeying for the best seats in the house. Are you with me? So much social pressure. And, and this is the ancient world. And we think, well, you know, that was a shame, honor, culture. Don't, don't act like we don't do that today. Right? And here's kind of the application here. In this dog-eat-dog, self-promoting table, Jesus drops a nugget, (laughs) a kingdom nugget, some wisdom. For those of you who are like, what's a nugget? At this dog-eat-dog, self-promoting table, Jesus drops some wisdom. He says, humble yourself and you will be exalted. But if you exalt yourself, you'll be humiliated. Words to live by, amen? Let me ask you this question. Does Jesus notice in us what he noticed at the table that day? Does Jesus notice in you what he noticed at the table that day? Are you spending your life continually trying to prove, impress And earn a seat at the table. Be honest. Have you worked so hard somewhere only to find out that you were expendable? Come on and I know as I'm writing this down there's like 10 or 15 people in my head because I know a lot of people in the Bay Area have gone through layoffs. Amen? Can we be honest in here or no? Like have you ever worked hard somewhere only find out that you were expendable, replaceable though you tried to do your best and you tried to say the right thing and meet the right people. Are you with me? Do you want to know why maybe some of us are unhealthy, moody, stressed? Do you want to know why some of us are so disappointed? I want you to, I want you to remember this, it's because we're searching for validation from man instead of resting in the validation that we have in Jesus Christ. Some of you should write that down, should be your prayer. It's because we're searching for validation from man instead of being satisfied in Christ. You know, I'm going to talk to the Christians in the room, okay? So if you're not a Christian, this is your opportunity to get them, you know. <laughs> Christians, you say that you're justified by faith, right? We are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone. We say that, but we act like we're justified by our jobs. Are you with me? Like You say that you are justified by faith in Christ, but you act like you're justified by your job. You act like you're justified by your title, your status. Come on, any Bay Area folks, you act like you're justified by the size of your house, your backyard, the amenities. And those of us that don't have anything, if we carry shame because we don't have that, our justification is in that as well. So I'm not just talking to all the haves. But the have-nots, to be ashamed of what you have because you don't measure up is because you're being justified by works and not by Christ. You think that's what makes you valuable. That's what makes you important. That's what makes you somebody. That's idolatry. So here's the convicting question. Where are the majority of your efforts and energies and resources going to? I think, can I just say this? Can we automatically, we are human, amen? So I want you to know that nobody right now is going to be safe from this question. That's what the gospel teaches us. We all in this room, every one of us should say, this is me. This is a typical idol, especially in this area, right? So let me alleviate anyone from feeling bad, like, oh, he's just talking to me. No, everyone in here should say, yes, I believe that we are idolaters. My heart makes idols, And living in the culture in the Bay Area, the rat race, I am constantly having to kill that idol because I am constantly comparing. Amen? Amen. Maybe I'll just say for me as a pastor. I often think, man, if I just took another position, (laughs) if I just went into the corporate world, like what could I do? How much more money could I make? Are you with me? So it's my idolatry too. Can I be honest? (laughs) Amen. So the question I want to ask for all of us, all of us, all of us, the majority of our efforts and energies and resources, we're spending it toward what? And and, and are you using them to secure for yourself positions of power and places of honor? Or are you using them to serve others and esteem others as better than yourself? Amen? Like... I think if you're honest, we're never going to answer this question in affirmative. (laughs) I think we always have to just be asking and repenting and trusting the Holy Spirit to build inside of us a different person. Because I think our world looks like their world. Like if Jesus were to look down, would he notice us fighting for the best seats in the table? Even in church. Right? Impressing Are you with me? (laughs) Okay. This was the problem Jesus noticed at the table that day. The table was not a place of justice and generosity, but it was a place of politicking and selfish ambition. And you know that when you build tables like that, no wonder why you exclude people. When you live in a culture that looks like that, no wonder why the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, are you with me? No wonder why we look down in snobbery, right? Like that's what happens in this kind of culture that we built. Okay, let me move on. Vignette number three. We find in verses 12 through 14. After noticing what the table had become, how all were competing for the best seats, Jesus turns to the host and he's like, this is your fault. No, I'm kidding. He turns to the host and he challenges the host to reconsider the way that he was utilizing his table. Reconsider how he's using his resources to secure for himself power or how is he using his resources to bless others? He challenges him to reconsider his table. Man, this has got to be an awkward dinner. Jesus is the king of just all. he's the king, but he's the king of awkward dinners for sure, right? The two things you don't talk about at dinner, and Jesus is like, let's talk about them all. There's like five things. Now, I want you to hear me out. Jesus is not saying, hey, no longer invite your friends over, right? That's not what he's saying. Like, he's speaking kind of, he's giving this powerful contrast, but he's not saying don't invite your relatives, your friends, or your rich neighbors, amen, if you're rich, let me know. Come over to my house for dinner. I was, I was debating on like asking for offering after this message, but I'm, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. I have to, I'm justified in Christ. Amen. Amen. But listen, uh, this is not what Jesus is saying. But here's what he is saying. And I want you to see this. We are most like Jesus And our tables most reflect the kingdom of God when we bless, benefit, and befriend those who have no power to pay us back. Think about that. We are most like Jesus and our tables most reflect the kingdom of God when we bless, benefit, and befriend those who have no power to pay us back. That stings a little bit. And we're just going to let that quote just sit up there and nestle in your heart for a little bit. Do you want to know what true generosity looks like? Do you want to know, do you want to be righteous in the eyes of God and richly rewarded in the kingdom of heaven? Then give with no expectation in return. Seek after those who have no benefit to you. Love them. Feed them. Talk with them. Pray with them. Share the love of Jesus with them. Invite them over to your house. Dignify their humanity. We are most like Jesus and our tables most reflect the kingdom when we bless, benefit, and befriend those who have no power to pay us back. Thank you. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to listen to CEO of Intel. Um, and I believe sister Cynthia used to work for him as well. He was at that time. He was the CEO of VMware. Um, and his name is Pat Gelsinger and he's a Christian in the Bay area. And one of his missions is to sit with folks of means in the Bay area and to discuss what it's looked like to bless. And it was an awesome opportunity. There was, it was a mixture of folks who were doing startup business and some of us who were starting up churches And he was just speaking to all of us. And I was actually really, uh, I'll never forget something that he said. He said, uh, and this is what he said about us. (laughs) He said this. The Silicon Valley is one of the richest regions on the earth. While at the same time, one of the least philanthropic. He said The fact that we can say we have the highest per capita income in the world and one of the lowest giving rates in the U.S. is implausible. One of his theories was this. The reason why the Bay Area makes the most but gives the least is because people in the Bay Area lack faith. They lack a faith tradition. We're also, coincidentally or not coincidentally, Uh, one of the least faith-based regions in the entire world. We're a very secular world, secular Bay Area. Y'all know that, you live here. And he says this, his theory is this tends to create a lack of philanthropic tradition. But what about us as Christians? I I have a theory (laughs) and I'm definitely not him, amen? But I have a theory too. We might be able to say that about, you know, the godless world, however we want to use that. But what about the quote-unquote godly people? Because these are the people that Jesus is chastising. What's what's our reason? Well, I have a few theories. I think we've allowed the world to influence our generosity or lack thereof more than the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to say some things when I say it. Some of you are going to assume like all kinds of different like political or economic assumptions. Just hear, just hear out what I'm saying, okay? <laughs> okay, I'm going to say it. We are more influenced by capitalism than by Christ. Our churches have become more corporate than Christian. And again, I thank God for the culture society that we're in. I understand, but I want to tell you this. The teachings of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven and not the kingdoms of this earth should be what influences our generosity. We live in a culture where ROI is king. Return of investment. From our jobs to our weekends. <laughs> Amen. Oh man, I'm quiet today. What do I mean by our jobs? Like instead of praying about, Lord, where is the place that you want me to be? I am a follower of Jesus. I am a disciple of Christ called to be on mission. What company, what position would you want me to be in so that I can give you glory? Instead of discerning God's will, we are determining what pays more. Even in our weekend plans, right? Doesn't it feel that way? Like we can't even hang out with friends without trying to answer the question, what's in it for me? Who's going to be there? (laughs) Instead of just blessing a friend with presents, we have to decide. Okay, moving on. From our charitable giving to even our spiritual disciplines. Amen? Everything Everything has the question, what's in it for me? I'll say it again. We we are most like Jesus, and our tables most reflect the kingdom of God when we bless, benefit, and befriend those who have no power to pay us back. Even going to church on Sunday, what's in it for me? Yeah, Praying, reading your word, what's in it for me? And you know what's crazy? If you must know what's in it for you, Jesus obliges. Did you know that? I don't know if you caught that. Like if you must know what's in it for you, Jesus says at the very end this, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So just in case you were thinking about ROI because we live in a culture, Jesus says, look, I'm going to throw you. But the reality is, is kingdom economics, Kingdom living is not about what I can get now, but how I can bless and give away and look like Jesus now so that in the kingdom to come, are you with me? It's thinking with eternity in mind. It's investing with eternity in mind. It's loving others with eternity in mind. And that's so difficult, isn't it? Isn't it so difficult to live for eternity? Right? Like the, the, the temptation and the very real thing is to live for now. Go to vignette four. You guys have been great, by the way. This is the final vignette. Don't get too excited. I'm going to go through it a little bit and then we'll wrap it up. <laughs> Our final vignette features one last parable. Oh man, Jesus, you're just... You're just hitting us in parables today. And one last parable that Jesus tells around this table. And it's, this parable is in response to the guy who's like randomly like, yeah, but blessed is everyone who sits at the kingdom of God, you know? And I, there was a couple of things I was trying to think about. Like, who is this guy? Like, is he a friend? Is he like trying to deflect? Like, in my opinion, scripture doesn't say my opinion, he's deflecting. Like, yeah, the poor, the crippled, God will do it, right? Everyone. What about us here? All lives matter. Well, you don't like that. I know. I know. My wife said don't, but it's, you know, I'm just saying like, it just feels like this guy was like, hey, Jesus, everybody is going into the kingdom. You know what I mean? Like, let's deflect this focus. Okay. I probably lost 50% of you, but in Christ, we can, we can disagree and we are still brothers and sisters in Jesus. Thank you. Couldn't help it. But one day, he tells a story. One day, here's the story. One day, a man planned a great banquet and invited many guests to come to his table. But on the day that everything was ready, can you imagine? Everything's ready. The banquet, all the preparations were made. The meal was ready. On the day that everything was ready, all those who had RSVP'd, Okay, so we're not just talking about people who just were busy that day. Here's how it would have happened. Okay, because they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have Evite, right? They didn't have all of that stuff. And so here's what happens. You would get invited several months ahead of time. And you would RSVP. You would agree. And then the servants would be sent out to kind of be your reminders. It'd be your emails, right? They'd be push notifications, right? And so the final reminder, right, to come into all those who RSVP is says everything is ready. You are now, it's now ready to come. And what happened was as they told everyone that everything has been prepared and ready, one by one, all of those who RSVP'd began to make lame excuses as to why they couldn't go. We got any lame excuses in here? I know I've done that a few times. Right? And so the scriptures tells us, angered, angered yet determined to fill his house, the host commanded his servants to invite to his table the crippled the blind the lame the poor and the scripture says when they all had come there was still room so the host of this great banquet told his servants to go out to the streets and to compel them to come in that my house may be filled Isn't that powerful When all had come and there was still room, listen to the heart of the host. He says, "Compel them to come in." What's his heart? What's his motivation? A full house. That's his heart. That my house will be filled. I'm going to tell you two things. This final parable was bold and shocking. This whole thing's been bold (laughs) and shocking, but this was very bold and shocking. Let me tell you why it was bold. Because in this story, Jesus condemns all those who are with him at the table that day. Telling this story, he's literally condemning everyone who's at the actual table that day. (laughs) I mean, that's the fastest way to get kicked out and never get invited again at dinner party. And, And you might say, well, how did you get that? In plotting and scheming to trap Jesus, remember? These guys don't like Jesus, they're haters. In plotting and scheming against Jesus, they have rejected God's ultimate invitation to his table. Like the kingdom is here. Jesus, the king is at this table. The Messiah has come. The kingdom is here. And all those who are invited to come, but instead of coming to this, they were rejecting him and trying to find ways to kill him, to destroy him, to trap him, to trip him up. They were scheming and plotting against him. Are you with me? Therefore, they will have no part in the kingdom of heaven. And you know what's really interesting to me about this parable? Notice God doesn't do the rejecting. It's fascinating, right? God doesn't, we all think God just, you know, he's this angry God and going to throw people to hell. just this rejecting. You know what? All of these people that are no longer invited are those who rejected the invitation. Interesting. So when they heard this story, no doubt every scribe and Pharisee at the table was seething with anger. This is why it was pretty bold. But it was also shocking. Why was it shocking? Remember, these were the religious elite. Remember that? Like these were the church people. (laughs) Right? This was like the Sunday. Sunday services got done. All the church people are going out to eat. They, 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 these were the pastors these were the theologians these were the teachers the scribes of the word amen, amen. like if anyone was going to heaven it was them like you know if, if you had to like make a list of all the people that are going to go to like you know for sure you're like I'm not sure about myself but I'll tell you who I know going there for sure <laughs> that's who that was these were the ones that were automatic and so it was shocking. It was shocking. And I want you guys to know this. God's table does not work. It doesn't work like and it doesn't look like man's table. Right? God's table, and thank God, <laughs> his table doesn't work like or look like the table of men. Those who enter in are not the arrogant, the mighty, the powerful, but the humble, the powerless. It's not the most wealthy that enter in, it's those who understand their poverty. And I'm not just talking about physical wealth, I'm talking about the poverty of the spirit. Because sometimes it's the external stuff is where our pride comes from. But I'm talking about inside, the arrogance those that, ha, ha, those whose gods are their, is their stuff. Have you noticed the people that all rejected Jesus were all the ones for their stuff, right? My, my house, my field, my oxen. Are you with me? Those who enter in are not the self-assuming, but the lowly in spirit, And so parables, oftentimes Jesus is giving you kind of an external look at things that are going on in here. Are you with me? And here's what's shocking. Here's what's the crazy part. When you think about the crippled, the blind, the lame, when you begin to think about these folks, these were all those the religious system had ostracized. Did you know that the Pharisees and scribes have put so much rules and regulations on the purity laws that if you were lame, you couldn't even go into certain parts of the temple. You with me? And so all those that are coming in are those that the religious elite had tried to ban and keep out. Those who were looked down on If they enter the synagogue, Jesus says, compel them to come into my house. The sinner, the tax collector, the prostitute, the pimp, the crook, the criminal, the poor. And now it's not just saying, hey, but those who understand just how depraved they are, deprived they are, just those who understand that I need God. Those who understand that I'm not holy. Those that understand that I am a liar. Not those who think they got it together. Not those who perform and pretend and impress and exclude and marginalize and ostracize. But those who have a deep understanding of how far from God says Jesus says, you know what? You're closer than you think because you know that you need me. You know that you need me. And I think sometimes in the Bay Area and some of our more wealthy regions, it's really tough. Because you don't necessarily need God. And then sometimes something happens where you need Him. You're humbled. Have you ever been there? I know I've been there. Arrogant, egotistical, prideful, thinking I've had it all together. And then something shakes up your life. And all of a sudden, God says, Do you need me now? And you know what's really cool? We say yes. God is saying, Mm-mm, No. Nope, should have came earlier. That's not how God works. God says, the invitation is open. Are you with me? I want to invite the team to come forward as we conclude. At the table of God, there is justice and generosity. Amen? 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 But at the table of men, there is corruption and exploitation. Which table do you want to sit at? And which table are you going to provide for others? At the table of God, there is compassion and healing. Amen? At the table of men, there is competition and selfish ambition. At the table of God, all those who cannot repay are compelled to come in. Don't worry about it. I got it. That's my favorite line when I sit with my friends. I got this. I was with Pastor Andy the other day. I got you. I'm all, praise Jesus. It's prophetic. It's an act. He knew I was, no, I'm just kidding. But that, isn't that cool when someone says, don't worry, I got this. I got you. This is what God does at his table. But at the table of men, only those who can afford it are invited in. And so today, you are invited to God's table. The invitation is out there for all. And the invitation was the cross. When Jesus died on that cross, it was an invitation for all those who are broken, hurting. All of those who are sinful, who are guilty, who are criminal. This was an invitation for all to come. An invitation to the banquet, to God's table. And can I just tell you something? The table of God that Jesus provided for us is a table of justice and generosity. How is it a table of justice and generosity? You see, Jesus at his table, he made the provisions through his blood and through his broken body. That's justice. You want to know why that's justice because on the cross jesus took upon himself our guilt and our condemnation you see we were lawbreakers we broke the law amen justice demands that we are punished that's what justice is and on that cross jesus was punished on our behalf and so what we see in Christ on the cross is justice served. But you know else what we see on the cross? Generosity, Lavish, abundant generosity. because not only did Christ in himself absorb our guilt and shame and sin and was punished on our behalf, but then he gives to us freely, freely. Freely. No, nope. you don't have to jump through any hoops. You don't have to go to church 24-7. Freely, freely, freely. He gives to us his perfect record of righteousness. He gives to you his sinlessness. So when the father looks at you, he doesn't see your failures, but he sees the perfection of his son. What lavish generosity he has poured out onto us that we are sinners and yet he has took in our punishment and we are sinners and he has given to us his righteous robes are you with me? but the generosity increases but because we are righteous because we are dressed in Christ's robes we are given eternity we are given heaven everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to us so that one day we will be kings and queens are you with me we will be in eternity in a new heaven and a new earth and that little apartment that you had no longer there amen come on the little money that you made the little food that you had the poverty the pain you were blind you were lame physically sick in heaven and on the new earth new body there will be joy peace in eternity and it's all given to you free of charge Free, 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 free. So ask, what what, what do I do, (laughs) right? That's the net, what do I do to get that? That's a deal. (laughs) Well, according to the scripture, it says by faith. All that requires of you is not for you to work, but to put your faith. What does that mean? It just means to trust the story. Just trust that it's true. Just believe. And that if you would trust and believe that we have a God of justice and generosity, you'll be saved. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful story. And so I want to say a prayer. But before we pray, I'd like for us just to finish just with a simple song of adoration to the Lord. And while we're singing, I'd just like to invite you to process through the table. And two things. Number one, I want you to process through the invitation that Christ has made to you. Come to my table. Receive. Don't reject my invitation. Like lay your lame excuses at the table. Lay them down and receive. But number two, not just receive, but then how can I be someone who then manifests that table here on earth? What does it look like as Christians in this room to actually embody the table to those who are in need how can we use our resources to love on to befriend to bless to benefit those who can't pay us back amen first lord i pray for all of those in this room who feel far from you who feel distant lord i pray that they would turn to jesus that they would look to the cross, that the story of the gospel, the good news of the gospel would compel them to put their faith in you, Father. And so I just pray in this room, Lord, that folks all over this building would just turn their eyes towards you. Lord, that we would repent, that we would just simply say, God, I know I don't measure up. I know my heart is an idle factory. I know I'm a sinner. But I believe that you died on my behalf. I believe that you on the cross, you were punished on my behalf. And I believe that you have given me your righteousness so that when I leave this place, God, I'm not somebody who is ostracized, somebody who is excluded from the table, but Christ has called me to sit. So I pray all over this room, Lord, that, Folks would put their faith in Jesus. Holy Spirit, you would do the work. And I also pray as we leave this place that those who believe in this room would not just be believer in word, but in deed. Lord, if we, if anyone in this room has benefited from your table, may we open up our tables. If anyone in this room has received generosity and justice, may we be those who would give out freely generosity and justice. So I pray even as we gather in our home groups this week and we begin to talk about what does it look like to befriend and bless those who can't pay us back, I pray this church would be a blessing, a church that blesses, a church that honors and loves those that are even hurting, those, those that, Lord, the addict, the afflicted, the homeless, the poor, Lord, continue, God, to move inside of all of us to love, to benefit, to befriend those who cannot repay us back. And so, Lord, we're careful to give you all honor and glory. You deserve it all. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Our prayer and hope is that you would be transformed by God's word and live for him. Before you go, would you consider giving a gift today by faith? We are walking into the new year and continuing to believe in what God is doing in the city through our missional communities and mercy ministries. Visit us at inspiredchurches.com to give a gift and let's see together the great things God will continue to do in the new year.